written for Gene Shepard, humorist, after-dinner speaker, and recipient of the Mark Twain Award for we'd like to ask you, is there any truth to the rumor that a manufacturer of dog food, having heard that many old folks can't afford to eat anything else, is now bringing out a new product, especially for them. It'll be brought out sometime next year to be called Purina Duffer Chow. Well, that's uh, partly right, although the name is not actually right. It's Purina Geezer Chow that they're bringing out. Would you please... Thank you, thank you, thank you. It's all right, there's nothing to it. Very simple. Well, you know, they bring out Purina frog chow now, and Purina horse chow, Purina veal chow, Purina salamander chow. There's no reason why you can't bring out Purina geezer chow for people that only can gum their kibble. So, uh, we're ready here for... <laughs> you don't know what kibble is, huh? Don't you remember him, that old movie actor Guy Kibble? We've got uh, many things here to repeat at the report. Uh, oh, another letter says, uh, Mr. Shepard, uh, why is it that all these people in media and on television and radio are always talking about the fancy cocktail parties they go to where they meet other fancy people who got invitations to the fancy cocktail parties? How come you never report on any of yours? Well, I'll tell you, kid. Uh, I get a different class of invitation to cocktail parties. For example, I have one here right in my hand now. This is typical of the kind I get. I do not know why I got it. It says, quote, Herd, spelled H-U-R-D, and it's engraved. It's a very tasteful invitation. I have it here. I'm holding it up for the camera here. Herd Machinery, 
cordially invites you and your associates to attend our Fall 76 Machinery Exposition from 10 a.m. to 6 p.m. Cocktails will be included. Featured at our big expo will be the latest in metal fabricating and chip cutting equipment. <laughs> I got they include a little map on how to get there. It's 17,000 miles out of town, and I can see myself traveling all those miles to look at a chip cutter. Well, would you please, if you will, Carl, please, just a little of that to blow the smell off of it. Oh, I'm working on the railroad all the live long day. These lyrics I have uh, excerpted out because there are kids listening. I know some unbelievable lyrics it is, but I'll sing the first part of it. Yeah. enough, Carl. Please, thank you, thank you. Just reset that in there. It's enough of that. Yeah, well, uh, I'll tell you, it's uh, good to get back. Really, I, uh, I, you, you guys don't know how lucky you are. Seriously, I don't think New Yorkers. We also, uh, I, I also have another piece of graffiti that I, this one I picked up at 59th Street, Columbus Circle. It's not as good as the other one. But it's worthy of, uh, you know, for brief mention, that says it's a good thing that Big Bird can't fly. Well, I don't know Big Bird. <laughs> and I'm not talking about that picture for the Detroit Tigers, you know. Although he flies pretty good, too, and he's out there in the mound. But uh, uh, we have uh, from another listener, it says, whatever became of the following, uh, Biafra, do they still have it? <laughs> Well, that's the way with modern America, or let's say the modern world. Last year's news item is this year's, uh, well, it's not really graffiti. It's this year's nostalgia. You know, remember the good old days of the Johnstown flood? It says, uh, whatever became of uh, Pierre Salinger? Well, he would be very hurt if you said that. You know what he would say to that? He'd say, look, at least you ask whatever became of me. Whatever became ever of you, buddy. <laughs> One other question here we have from a listener here. I have to get it get it out of the way here. This is the answers to the listeners' queries day here, although we have a little more business to take care of here. It says, uh, quote, uh, in a recent letter to me, uh, you may remember my saying that teddy bears are so-called because they look like bears. That is not true, friend. You are again wrong, wrong, wrong. It says an acquaintance of mine disputes this, saying that they are actually named after Teddy Roosevelt. That is correct. Now, he goes on to say, he says, I am reluctant to accept this theory, however, because I have seen pictures of T.R. and teddy bears don't look anything like him. Well, that's not why they named the teddy bear after Teddy Roosevelt. Not at all, because they looked like him or didn't look like him. Why did they name the teddy bear Teddy Bear? No, you're wrong about that, too. You're wrong. Why? <laughs> okay. 
Uh, no question, you know, if you happen to be a Raggedy Ann type, it doesn't matter. I mean, the Raggedy Ann. I know, listen, I'll tell you, you know, the teddy bears have got a terrible pull on people. I, You know that the teddy bear, uh, ever since its inception, it was named after Theodore Roosevelt, by the way, that the uh, teddy bear, which was named after Teddy Roosevelt, uh, about 1902 or three or something like that, that it has remained the number one toy all around the world, in spite of the fact that at one time the Russian commissars in charge of uh, toys tried to stomp it out as a capitalistic tool, and it didn't do any good. <laughs> That's true. The Russian peasants went home and made their own. And so they decided to give it up. Now there's an official Russian teddy bear. His name, well, actually, his name is, uh, they call him over there, if you're curious. He's called a Carl Bear. I mean, they don't want to admit that there's any such, with a K, they don't want to admit that there's a <laughs> U.S. president, but nevertheless, uh, the point I'm, I'm making here is this teddy bear's got a real hold on people. And uh, I uh, I hate to admit that uh, that I once had a friend, and uh, just, you know, an ex-friend, I might add, a person like this you can't have for a friend that long. But uh, this ex-friend, I, uh, I went over, it was a girl, actually, and... Uh, I mean, you can have girls that are friends, right? Although there is a theory that says uh, friendship is not possible between a man and a woman. Oh, well, you say it is. Well, <laughs> there's a lot of other not sure friendship. <laughs> that, uh, I don't know, no, no. Uh, of course, it depends on how you define friendship. But uh, nevertheless, uh, the... Uh, the theory of, uh, you know, the man and the woman thing is, uh, you know, I'm not going to hear argue with you. We don't have enough time. After all, our show has only, uh, we only got 1,800 years to go on this contract, so we don't have time enough to discuss that. That, that. that argument goes back to Lysistrata, you know, where the man and woman can have friendship as, let's say, human beings know it. Well, nevertheless, I did have this friend uh, who was this girl. And I thought there was something kind of funny about her, you know. And uh, she was all right, though. She was, you know, at that that point, uh, she was the nearest thing around, and I was, uh, you know, I'm, you know, how you do. And so uh, one night uh, she invited me over to her house for dinner. She had this apartment down on A Street, and uh, she was just tasting the delights of bohemian life. Now it was an old village uh, uh, type, and I've been living in the village now for as long as I can remember, but as as an old village type, I can tell you this, that the people who first come to the village go ape. And, uh, you know, they oh, they really go village. You can always tell the new ones down there. They're buying posters like crazy, you know, and they, they do all this. So you get out of that stage, you know, after a while. And uh, they go to poetry readings, and they usually grow a beard, and they get a mad look on their face and do all that stuff. Well, you go through that, you know, and after a while you begin to see, you know, well, it gets a little tiresome. And also your beard tends to itch after a while, and you you get beard weevils and stuff. So uh, nevertheless, uh, this girl was really into the village bag, you know. You know, terrible. She was making her own lampshades, and uh, she was using Rorschach tests to make her lampshades, uh, erotic uh, rugs on the floor and all that stuff. And she was weaving her own uh, Swedish skirts that she wove on a Swedish loom, She's going into the whole bit, you know. She, oh, yes, yeah, she was growing her own wheat germ. And, uh, oh, yes, you can grow wheat germ now that doesn't have the rest of the wheat on it. It's just the germ that grows. And uh, she had went the whole route. And uh, I, I figured, well, you know, this is a kind of a jumpy chick, but what the hell. 
any port that stormed. So well, I went down there one night. <laughs> I'll tell you the truth. I went down there one night, and when when uh, she she invited me down, of course she had the whole place uh, lit up with candles. You know, this is another thing they do when they first go to the village, laying a stock of candles. So uh, the candles were going, and and uh, she said, "Would you care for a glass of wine?" Well, you know, that's another thing. you got to learn to drink wine or you just can't make it in the village any kind, you know. So I said, of course, Raymond. And uh, so she whips out the wine. It wasn't my particular favorite vintage. It was actually uh, Spring of 69 Thunderbird, which is uh, not a bad year. It was, uh, you know, come see, come sell, right? But uh, so I... I uh, drank the Thunderbird and, and uh, was nibbling away. She had the bridge mix out, too. You know, bridge mix doesn't go very well with Thunderbird. But since she was acting kind of nervous, I figured I'd make her feel better by eating the bridge mix. So I'm eating the bridge mix and drinking the Thunderbird and waiting for the next thing to happen. When it did, on a, absolutely on a, inadvertently, I looked through the, the room there since she had this little place in there where she had the combined kitchen and bedroom and day bed and all that stuff. And what do I see on a day bed but a seven-foot-high teddy bear. I left five minutes later. I said, why? Any girl who at the age of 24 has a teddy bear on her bed is a girl you should be very careful about. Leave hurriedly. That's right. I repeat. I leave hurriedly. Would you please, if you will? <laughs> Every man to his taste. <laughs> I will just let you think about that one for a while. Yeah. I'm working on the railroad, yeah, all the live long day. I've been working on the railroad just to pass the time away. Hold it there, Carl. Thank you. That's good. That's terrific. Very good. Well, you know, uh, on, <laughs> on the way back, well, you know when you're a campaigner in the field of... of uh, of emotional involvements, you learn many tricks of the jungle trade, and uh, and uh, some of the tricks. Uh, those those who are really truly campaigners in the world of of emotional involvements learn the various clues that you should be aware of. It's like any kind of hunter in the jungle. A hunter in the jungle knows very well if a lion comes up and walks over and starts licking your feet, don't. That's not a good, uh, that's certainly not a good uh, uh, trophy because that lion, one, is either sick or two, he's about to eat you, neither one of which uh, you want to have happen on your $7,000 a day safari, right? Now, uh, <laughs> although that would be a kind of a great way to go, you know, reporting back that Clarence was eaten by a rhinoceros, first person that got eaten by a rhinoceros and thousands of years since they are actually, you know, vegetarians. Now, uh, getting back to life and existence here, as we know. Oh, yeah, no, seriously. Uh, I, uh, I was, uh, you know, I was just out in Detroit. I'll have to, let's get serious here now, friends. Come on, we got to straighten out New York here. I just, uh, I just came back from Detroit this morning, and all I do, the, I know I'm getting back to New York because the complaining about the weather gets louder and louder on all the radio and TV stations. And we happen to have the best weather right now of any place in the country. Yes, we do. It was 21 in Jacksonville yesterday, you dummy. I mean, yes, 21. <laughs> the point being here that, that, that New Yorkers, I mean, New Yorkers are the most, 
I, I, let's put it this way, and I'm one of them. Let's face it, I'm a New Yorker, and 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 I. So because I am, I can I can speak. You know, I can come right out and say it for New York. New York, the, the art form of the New Yorker is the kvetch. That's the that's the form. That's what we work in. The kvetch. You don't know what the word means, do you, Carl? Carl looks confused. Well, Carl is a Carl is not Lithuanian. He's a Laplander. You wouldn't know what that means. The kvetch, Carl, is uh, well. The army had a great twenty-five different words for it. Some of them, many of them, started with a B and referred to female dogs. Uh, it's the complaint. But the word kvetch really means more than complaint. It means colorful, creative complaint. In other words, uh, what you take the average uh, New York sport fan. He's a Kvetcher from the start. I mean, the, the Mets go out when, you know, they've won two World Series, and he still feels the Mets haven't done it for him. Only in New York would he complain like such a record of the Mets have. Why, there are other cities that have not had a pennant of any kind, even a divisional championship, since the turn of the century. Who can remember when Cleveland last won anything? Who can remember when the Chicago Cubs last won anything? <laughs> the Chicago, are you kidding? The Chicago Cubs' last pennant came in the late stages of World War II. And why did the Cubs win a pennant that year? Well, one team that they played consistently had a one-armed outfielder. Believe it or not, there was a one-armed outfielder played in the majors. What was his name? Yes, he had only one arm. You know about him, Carl, right? He had one arm. Well, no wonder the Cubs won the pennant. It wasn't because of that guy, because he wasn't bad, actually. He had, a, I think, around a two fifty batting average. So, uh, you know, the kvetch is a New York thing. So you come back, and they're kvetching about the weather. Oh, my God, the sun is shining. And it's, you know, it's 35 now, maybe 25. And they say, whoa, the weather. And you hear them closing schools on Long Island. And, <laughs> buddy, you don't know what Detroit is like. I'll tell you. I come from the Midwest, right? So in the Midwest, we know what winter is. That's why few Midwesterners are ski cuckoos. The, and it's not because they don't have an area to ski in. There's plenty of hills around in the Midwest, up in Minnesota and Michigan. It's not the Midwest. Midwesterners know what winter is. It's an unmitigated evil. And one does not think of uh, of winter as fun and games in a place like uh, East Chicago, Indiana, where the average wind out of the north is maybe 115 miles per hour. It starts the last week of October and ends somewhere around the middle of May. And uh, the average temperature ranges between 20 and 25 below. And that's not including what they call uh, wind factor. The wind factor is not even measurable in some towns in northern Indiana. I mean, you know, maybe it's 150 degrees below zero. <laughs> I'm serious. I'm really not kidding you. And so it, it, it's hard for a New Yorker to comprehend that there are places where they really do have weather. Really do. Oh, come on. Stop it now. No, they really do have weather that is, is, is malevolent. And you know what I've noticed about people who have bad weather? They complain about it less than people who have mild weather. 
So New York complains incessantly about the weather. <laughs> you never hear anybody complaining in Duluth. Believe it or not, they come on and say, and now today's weather. The temperature will range between 37 and 26 below zero. There will be a 45-mile-an-hour northwest wind, and now we return to the sports. That's it. <laughs> New York, they'd start out with the school-closing announcements. You know, <laughs> disaster forces have been called out. The temperature's below 20. Well, I'll tell you, I... I, how I learned to hate snow. You want to hear a typical example of how you learn to hate snow? Well, see, I was going through a stage. I was a kid. You learn this when you're a kid. You do. That the, a Midwesterner who grew up on the plains with the wind screaming down, anybody who's lived in the Great Lakes area, the Great Lakes during the winter are like three unimaginably gigantic well, actually five, but the only one that counted in our area were three of them, Superior, Michigan, and Huron. They're like three gigantic 600-mile-long, 1,200-foot-deep ice cubes. They freeze. They're not like the ocean, you know, that doesn't freeze. So the wind would blow the great waves in on the... See, the waves from, from, uh, from in, in Lake Michigan move from the north towards the south end of the lake. They come from up around the Straits of Mackinac and move straight down, and they pile giant ice flows. I can remember walking along. We lived a mile from the beach, and I can remember walking beach. Yes, Lake Michigan has beaches. We walked along about, we'd walk along going to school about a mile, from, maybe half a mile from the beach, and you'd see these great white mounds on the horizon, maybe 20, 30 feet, three, four stories high. They were enormous piled-up ice flows along the shores of Lake Michigan. Great, fantastic flows. Incidentally, one of the big days out in Lake Michigan is, a, is the big yearly date when the ice breaks up and all the big boats can move through with the ore from Duluth and places like that. But, boy, does it get cold. Well, anyway, as a kid, you know, I was about maybe about eight or nine. Just, I'll tell you what it was. It was just before Christmas. Just, just about like this time of year, see. And, you know, when you're a kid, you have to do all kinds of scrounging around and grubbing up to get dough for Christmas. You know, saving money to, to, for Christmas presents and all that stuff. So, <laughs> me and Schwartz one time got this great idea. And like many great ideas, it led to a lifelong trauma. I have in, since, incidentally, had uh, an allergy to ideas. I don't have, I mean, ideas I'm careful about. Well, here's how it happened. It was like on a Friday night. It started to snow. Well, now, out in the, uh, in the Midwest, see, the snow, when the snow comes down, it isn't like out here, you know, they get three or four inches of snow, and it's just bad news. Out in the Midwest, it, it can snow for, say, maybe three days, and uh, you'll wind up with uh, snow that goes roughly from the bottom of the window on the first floor of a building straight down. I mean, it's, it may be five feet deep, and uh, that's snow. So the snow drifts, you see. This fantastic wind blows the snow up around the garages until finally the snow goes all the way up to the roof. Many times you can't even see the garage. There's a garage sitting back there, just a sort of a little mound out in the snow. And uh, the wind blows, and, and uh, the driveways sometimes are filled with maybe five feet of snow. 
And uh, then what happens, of course, is a brief sunshine comes out. Comes out for about five minutes sometimes. They sometimes, you know, they don't sometimes see the snow or the, the sun out in the Midwest from roughly November 1st to sometimes late in February. No snow at all. Or rather, no sun. It's a great gray sky cover. So, one day, the snow came down, seeing it's about three weeks before Christmas. And it's coming down all Friday, and it comes down all Friday night. It comes down all Saturday morning. And it stopped about 1 o'clock Saturday. There's a brief sun comes out and disappears. And then the brief sun again comes out and disappears. Little did we realize this is a very bad sign. Very bad. If you don't know snow, you don't know what it means. I can tell you now. So uh, Schwartz calls me up and he says, Hey, he says, I got an idea. And I said, What, Schwartz? He says, uh, I know I can get, we can make some dough. I said, Schwartz, I'm not going to go down to Aschenschlager's and deliver groceries on this kind of day. He says, no, no, a great idea. We can shovel snow. It never occurred to me to shovel snow for dough. So I said, yeah, yeah, great. I said, where are we going? He says, well, how about Mr. Scott? Mr. Scott, by the way, was this nice elderly gentleman who lived down the street. He had this great big yard, and he had a garage, and he had this driveway, and he always was hiring us to mow the lawn. And, uh, you know, Mr. Scott. So Schwartz comes running over to the house with his snow shovel. I go down in the basement, get the snow shovel, and me and Schwartz go over to see Mr. Scott. Snow is beautiful and white. And uh, Schwartz goes up and knocks on the door, and I wait down by the bottom of the steps down there, and snow piled up to my behind. And... <laughs> Schwartz, Schwartz is talking to Mr. Scott. Mr. Scott nods. Schwartz comes running down. He says, he's going to give us a buck to shovel the snow. I said, okay, Schwartz. I said, I'll tell you what. I'll start on the driveway. You start on the front walk. And so I struggled through the snow, and I started to shovel. And I shoveled. I shoveled for an hour and a half, and it cleared maybe three feet. Why? Because the snow not only had come down, but the brief moments of sunshine had melted the top part of the snow, which made it freeze. So it was frozen and alternate layers of frozen snow and snow. And I hacked and hacked and hacked, and the temperature was getting colder and colder and colder. It is now starting to get dark. And I have cleared about maybe four feet of the driveway. The driveway, by the way, stretched from the street 150 feet all the way back to the back of the lot. I was going... I figured at the rate I was going, I could probably finish it by the 4th in time for the fireworks if I kept hacking. And I could hear Schwartz hacking away. You couldn't even see Schwartz. He was so deeply buried in the great drifts of snow. I could hear his shovel clanking, and I could hear his nose blowing and snorting and huffing, and I struggled through the snow. Finally, after three hours, I said, Schwartz, I'm freezing. He says, I know, I'm freezing too. He says, let's quit. Well, we've been now hacking at the snow since about roughly noon. It is now about five o'clock. And so we skulked out of out of that neighborhood like, like, like rats running from a trap. And I got back home. I walked in the house, and I was... 
I was covered with ice and snow, and my hands were chapped, and my nose had been running all day long, and my nose was red, and it hurt, and it was chapped. My eyeballs were red. The phone rings. My mother picks up the phone. She says, he did what? He promised what? Well, I'll see that he do it. Yes, he'll do it. I'll see that he does it. Don't you worry. She hung up. She says, did you promise Mr. Scott that you would clean out his yard and shovel his snow? She says, and you didn't do it, did you? No. She says, you are going to go back tomorrow morning, and you're going to keep at that until you finish that job. And that's going to cure you of taking out a job unless you intend to finish it. You hear me? I don't want to go. You're going? Schwartz's mother called. There was an exchange of words between Schwartz's mother and my mother. And at 8 o'clock the next morning, me and Schwartz were back on the beat. We finished our job late Thursday night. Shoveling steadily. Ever since that time, there hasn't been a single person who has ever convinced me that I should slide up and down hills wearing funny sticks. Are you kidding, buddy? You <laughs> think I'm still crazy? I had that once. Yes, sir, and I've had it. Oh. You've been listening to Gene Shepard, humorist, author, and recipient of the Mark Twain Award for 1976.